Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. You know, it's, it's been a really interesting run for this church as this building has gone up. And as, the more I thought about that in my own life, I thought, geez, you know, what can I do that's really, what can I talk specifically applies to what we've been through and where the Lord has taken us. Folks, the journey has just begun, uh, which what God is doing with this church and with that building. And I know back in March, uh, you know, when we had our annual business meeting, you know, when Jerron gave his report, he kept periodically stopping and saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he talked well for again, he would say that over and over again. And I kept thinking, well, how does that practically look? Now, how does that apply in our lives? How does that work as a church? And so I wanted to kind of take that and specifically work it into the concept of faith itself. And we're, and we're going to look at faith a little differently than perhaps we think of faith. I think a lot of times when we think of faith, it's believing in something we can't see or, you know, or trusting in something. But, but in this case, I want to talk about faith in a very, very active sense a very engaging sense of faith that goes out and literally conquers. Um, and so we have these opportunities in our Christian life where, you know, we are called to action uh, constantly. In fact, I'll start us off with a little history lesson here. I don't know how many Civil War buffs we have in here, but in May of 1862, right after getting their uh, families whipped pretty bad in the first battle of Bull Run, uh, Union did, Abraham Lincoln decided was going to really beef up the Army of the Potomac. And they put a general in charge by the name of George McClellan. Now, George was second in his class at West Point. The guy had head knowledge that was unbelievable. He was a tactician. He was successful in the business world. He was brilliant. And they started building up the Army of the Potomac. And he said, men, men, send me more men, more men, more men. And he kept sending them men and men. And pretty soon, the Army of the Potomac was up to 120,000 men. And the idea behind this was they wanted to make a decisive blow early in the war and end it so there wouldn't be a lot of casualties. And the game plan was to march on Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy, which was only 100 miles away from Washington, D.C., very close. So this became very pivotal as far as what they were trying to do. So they kept building it up, and McClellan just kept asking for more men. And Lincoln finally said, listen, if I send you any more men, there's no ground left for them to lay on. They're going to have to sleep standing up. I can't send you any more men. Please take action. He just talked to him over and over and over again about this. And so now, now we're into July. It's been quite a while. In the meantime, the Confederacy's over there and they're watching what's going on. So what do they do? They've got time to react. They're bringing in more forces. They're getting ready for this thing. But where the real tragedy was in this whole thing, actually there was two of them. Yorktown, Virginia was the first place that we needed to move those Union forces to move up the peninsula to take Richmond. It was called the Peninsula Campaign just for that reason. And he was really hesitant to take Yorktown because he was afraid that he was outnumbered. And history now tells us that in Yorktown, our the Union troops were 120,000 getting ready to take it, which hadn't moved yet, and in Yorktown there were 13,000 Confederates. 120 to 13,000, yet he failed to act and move. He was very quickly becoming known as a very sluggish, paranoid, and hesitant leader. Finally, 
He decides to go over there and have a little skirmish. He crosses into the peninsula. They get in a little bit of a fight. They wound the Confederate general, Joe Johnston, in retreat. Okay? And uh, that was the second catastrophe. Because Jefferson Davis replaced Joe Johnston with Robert E. Lee. And boy, the rest is history. Robert E. Lee had a whole different tactic. And, he, and uh, as we know, that was a very long and vicious and fought out war. McClellan finally crossed. Um, by that time, Lee was ready. The battle lasted for seven days, and the Union got once again whipped and retreated back to Washington, D.C. And it, it, was a, it was a failure. And basically what happened there, because of the sluggishness, because of you know, being tentative, um, because of being timid, there, there was that opportunity there that he didn't take. And the results were not good. Now, we have opportunities before us every day, not just in this church, but in, in work and in our families and everything. And we have to be, I think, very proactive in our faith. Let's take that to a, from, to a spiritual point of view and let's look at some scripture that talks about the need to be active in our faith. Because if we're active in our faith, there's two things that'll happen. Number one, you're going to produce fruit. We know that as Christians, you know, Christ has told us, my disciples produce fruit. Those who know me produce fruit. We know that. So we produce fruit if we're active in our faith. But second of all, and this is what really was, was speaking to me, that's how we mature in our faith. If we are not active in our faith, we're going to be, it's going to be very difficult for us to mature. So let's look at a passage of scripture that I found very interesting in relation to this. And it wasn't that long ago, actually, that we went through this um, with Jerron as he worked his way through Mark. Um, let's go to Mark chapter 4. Now, <laughs> I'll apologize ahead of time. I kind of got wrapped up on this thing and going pretty hard. And we've got a lot of scriptures we're going to go through this morning. Um, it's interesting. We always dive into God's word here, right? Uh, we're going to be really flipping the pages today. So make sure your iPhones are charged up and you're, you know, you're pumping those fingers good and you're ready to roll. And we'll, we'll work our way through this stuff. But in Mark chapter 4, um, uh, we'll start with verse 20 and go through 25. Jesus is just pretty much finished doing the parable of the sower. And then he makes some amazing statements right after that parable. Uh, so let's, let's take a look at that. We're going to start with verse 20 and go through 25, and we're going to focus really on verse 24. So starting with verse 20, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I just kept looking at that and looking at that, and, and you know, the more I kept digging into it, looking at commentaries, you know, it was really speaking to me. That measure, we need to pay attention. We need to listen. We need to hear what the Word of God is telling us, and then we need to practice it. We need to, we need to, we need to measure it out and live it out. 
And if we do, actually, more is given back. But if you don't do that, you're in danger of even forgetting what you've even learned. It's, it's, it, we have to practice our faith. Jesus is saying something here very interesting, and it's, it's amazing to me how it fits in so well with the parable of the sower, especially where we started out. If we are going to be growing, maturing, fruit-producing Christians who understand more and more the deep truths of God's word, we must put into practice the deep truths of God's word. If we're going to grow as Christians, we have to practice. Head knowledge is not enough. We have to put it into practice. That's what God's calling us to do here. That's what that building's all about. That's what this action point is all about. And folks, as we do that, we, more truths are revealed, and we understand more and more and more, and we start maturing, and we're, we're deeper in our faith and what God's called us to do. Real and interesting concept. In fact, let me read a couple of commentaries. And I got them from two different guys. The first one is John MacArthur, for all my Calvinist and Reformed friends. I love this comment that John says. This is what he says about this specific verse, okay? The spiritual results which the disciples realized were to be based on the amount of effort they put forth. They would reap as they had sown. The one who has learned spiritual truth and applied it diligently will receive even more truth to faithfully apply. You see what Jesus is saying there? Listen to what George MacDonald says. You know, this is from a more dispensational uh, theology. Same thing. You look at these guys and you look at verses like this, they're just all dead on on. Here's what he says. If I hear or read some command from the word of God but fail to obey it, I cannot pass it on to others. What gives power and scope to teaching is when people see the truth in the believer's life. Whatever we measure out in sharing the truth with others comes back to us with compound interest. The teacher usually learns more in preparing a lesson than the pupils, and the future reward will be greater than our puny expenditure. There's a real call for us to put our faith into practice here. We understand the teachings of Jesus. Let me say another one. We understand the teachings of Jesus when we put into practice the teachings of Jesus. That's when the understanding comes. It's just not reading it. It's when you start doing it. That's when truth starts being revealed. The more we practice truth, the more we grow in our understanding of the truth. We need to walk like Jesus walked. We need to practice our faith. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Now, to be fair, I didn't mark my Bible, so that way I won't be getting it fast. In fact, who knows? I might not get to it at all. Let's see. 1 John 2, 4 through 6. Whoever says, I know him, Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected by this we may know that we are in him in Christ whoever says he abides in him 
ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That takes action. That takes effort. That takes getting involved. And as we do that, we will mature in the faith. More and more things will be revealed to us as we work through that process. No action is going to lead us to no understanding. We have got to have that action so we can get that understanding. You know, I, I remembered back in college, I had a, a philosophy professor. And I mean, this guy claimed he'd read the Bible several times. And the few discussions I had with him, I believed he'd read it several times. And some of the things he said in class, I believed he'd read it several times. But he was not a believer. And later on, I began to really see he read the entire Bible, I don't know how many times, but folks, he did not understand it. He did not understand it because he never applied it. Because he never believed it. He never had the faith to accept it and then apply it. He had no understanding other than, you know, what he was just ripping up in his own mind. He was using it for controversial arguments and had no true understanding of the word. We have to put into practice the truths that are in this scripture if we want to mature and grow and if we want to understand what is going on. So we need to pay attention to what we hear. All right? Now you can sleep when I'm preaching, but no more sleeping when Jerron's preaching, okay? We've got to pay attention up here. In fact, uh, with that in mind, let's, let's flip to another scripture. Now we know how James thinks about this, right? Let's go to the book of James. Anybody who's worked through the book of James knows what James' opinion is on a faith that lacks action, that lacks works. He says it's worthless. It's dung. It, has, it means nothing. And uh, so he's got some pretty strong language on it. But let's look at that a little bit and see what he has to say here. Uh, James chapter 1, we'll go verses 22 through 25. Scripture that many of us know. But be doers of the word, and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Amazing passage of scripture. You know, what's, what's really interesting there is that the word deceiving at the first, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers of the word, only deceiving yourselves. The Greek word for deceiving there is actually the word they used for miscalculation. So anytime they were doing any type of math, that's the word they used when they miscalculated what they were trying to do. Professing Christians who are content with only hearing or reading the word have made a serious miscalculation and are deceiving themselves. There's, there's got to be doing. There's got to be action here. And what's interesting, he is pretty much saying the same thing here, what Jesus says in Mark 4. You're looking into that mirror, and you walk away, and pretty soon, you don't remember what you've seen. Just like it says, you know, for those who don't have, it's going to be taken away, what little bit they do have. That's what Jesus was saying. You have got to engage. If your faith is not active, it's, going to be, it's difficult to grow, folks. It's difficult to get those truths into your life and hold on to them. And it's, it, you know, it, so James addresses this quite clearly 
you know, right there as, as he talks about the fact we need to be doers. You know, if we don't put into practice uh, the Word of God, there, there's that danger that's always there. We're, we're going to forget what we're learning from verse 24, Mark 4. Uh, like I mentioned before, Christian faith must absolutely go beyond scriptural head knowledge. It's got to involve action. It has to be a practical faith. Works that produces kingdom fruit. It just has to be there. We're, if you folks are in James, still go to James 2. Once again, a very popular verse here as well. Very strong statement. 2, 17 and 18. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith is born of God, but works is born of faith. It comes from our faith. The works that produces kingdom fruit. That's how I like to look at works. Anything else are just efforts of man. But real fruits, that work is born out of our faith. Philippians 4.9, let's flip over there real quick. I'm just going to keep moving around here. Notice as I was going through this, it's amazing how often in the scriptures we are told to practice, 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 practice this, practice that, practice this, do this, practice. And I, I was just astounded every time I looked at this. This is, a, once again, a fairly uh, common verse that we've looked at many times. But let's take a look at that. Let's just look at verse 9 to start out with here. 4, 9. We're going to come back and look at 8 later on. Listen, listen to what Paul is telling these folks. He's just told them, listen, you guys need to focus on what's honorable, what's good. All these wonderful, pure things, all right? And then he says in verse 9, what you have learned and what you have received and what you have heard and seen in me, practice these things. Paul gets it. He knows. That faith has got to be a practicing faith. Now, I guarantee, when they watched the Apostle Paul, they were hearing and receiving and learning a lot. He goes, look at me. I'm showing you guys what I'm doing you need to do. You need to practice it. You need to go out there and live it. And look what it says right there at the very end. And the God of peace will be with you. I don't know anybody in this room really needs any peace today, but I guarantee you, I, could, I think about everybody in here, right? This crazy world we're living in, I'll tell you what, that peace is there. One big way to deal with the chaos out there in this world is to absolutely practice out your faith. Practice out your faith. Let's go to Hebrews 5.14. That's the one I always have a hard time finding. But it's just before James. I know that now. Here we go. Hebrews 5.14. Let's talk a little bit about the solid food. Here the word practice comes up again. Hebrews 5.14. But the solid food is for the mature. The solid food is for those that are mature in Christ. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant, what? Constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We need to be taking that solid food, that deep truths of God. We need to apply that in our life. We need to live it out. To do that, we need to be maturing. 
To be maturing, we need to be practicing and living out our faith. That solid food is so important. That's where that discernment comes in. You can distinguish between good and evil. How important that is in our walk. But, enabled to even handle the solid food, we have to have a level of maturity. We have to have a practicing faith. We can't just be sitting in a chair or reading the word or listening to somebody on TV and call it good. God wants us engaged. He wants us in the fight. He wants us out there getting involved. Amen? So, that sums up a little bit what a practicing faith is. Let's talk a little about what it would look like. Let's, let's apply it a little bit in our lives. Okay. All right, Greg, sure. I want to I have a practicing faith. I want to go out there and do it. I get what you're saying. I want to mature in the Lord. I want the deeper truths. I want the solid food. I want to produce food for the kingdom. I want to make a difference. We are in urgent times. We've got to get out there and do things, right? I'm all on board, Greg. Okay, well, what's that look like? There are several things that we could go into here, but I'm just going to cover a few, okay? The first one, which is very important, we go over this again and again and again, and that is prayer. Prayer is an intentional, it's intentional on our part, and it always involves action. Prayer must be practiced. It must be practiced. It's something you have to intentionally do. We need to find time in our life to pray, and after we find that time, we need to find more time to pray. It is so important. Let's turn to Acts 2, 42 through 47. I chose this verse for two reasons. Uh, in, in, in light of prayer, you know, it's a great description of the early church and a group of believers who are practicing their faith. They're living it out. I mean, prayer is mentioned here, but if you read through this, the list gets really long on what a practicing faith looks like. In fact, if you want to have a good homework assignment, go home uh, and sometime this week, go back to these verses, 42 through 47 in Acts 2, and just start writing down all the things that you can see in there that these early believers were doing where they were practicing out their faith. It's a pretty long list. Let's look through that, uh, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together. Sounds like church every day to me. And breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day to those who were being saved. There's a great picture of a practicing faith in the early church. I mean, we've got prayer in there. They're, we know they're devoted to prayer, right? It says they're also devoted to fellowship in there. How important is fellowship in our life? If you're not devoted to fellowship, it's going to be really hard to mature. You can't make it as a lone wolf. You've got to have that fellowship. We have to have the body behind us. That's why we're here this morning. Look at communion in there. How important is communion? We do it every week here at Living Water. What a tremendous act of worship. That's what they were doing right here. They were going to church day by day. They were teaching. 
They were worshiping. Look at the unity that you see in this body. It's unbelievable. They were evangelizing day by day. Their numbers were growing. We see, we see a loving, caring, sharing, serving, just, just this unbelievable body um, that is putting their faith into practice. Such an important thing is that prayer and, 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 and so many other things that are listed here. The second thing I'd like to mention is our minds, control our thoughts. I, in this, I think this is becoming more and more important uh, in this world that we're living in, especially for you parents with young kids who have these contraptions called iPhones in their hands and computers in front of them and the stuff that is on TV. I'm telling you, somebody's fighting for your kid's soul. Philippians 4. Jeez, I told myself I was not going to do that. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Yeah, we, just, we were just there. Um, you know, there's a battle being fought out there, folks, and we have to be really careful with what we put in our minds. I'm going to find it here. Philippians, there we go. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Let's go back to that. Specifically 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then once again, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Be careful what you put your mind on. If you really want to be in a safe place and you want to mature, keep it right here. And then what you read right here, go put it into practice and mature and get more spiritual understanding and come back right here again and just keep growing in the Lord. There's a battle for our minds out there. We are in urgent times, folks. It's amazing, the garbage that is out there. I mean, even back in, in, in the 70s, I, I don't know why this was, but every house that was built in the 70s, they decided they weren't going to put light fixtures in the ceiling, right? They put wall switches on all the outlets. I mean, our house was like that. It was built in the 70s that I grew up in. The mom is living in now still, right? So you go into there and they got this big living room. There's not a single light fixture in the living room, nowhere. You got wall outlets everywhere and the switches flip on the wall outlets. Well, where I'm going with this is, I mean, I've shared this before, but you guys can get to hear it again. So we had a lot of lamps up there, right? But also the TV was plugged into one of those outlets. And so my mom got real smart in a real hurry. If we were watching something she didn't like, bam, it was off instantly. I kid you not, one time she turned off Gilligan's Island on me. I mean, <laughs> seriously? I'm, I just, I remember thinking, what, you gotta be kidding me. But what I did appreciate, what I learned to appreciate was a mom who was willing to protect her kids, knowing that, you know what, I don't care what's on, it's too much stinking TV, you're done watching TV. And boom, off the switch went. And we did not go back over and flip that switch on. So, now that, that was unique to houses in the 70s. When I, when I, for some reason, when I read the scripture, I thought about that in my mom's, um, and she had a sign above the TV too that said, I'll put no one holy thing before my eyes. So you're convicted before you even get the darn thing turned on, right? So, but we need to control our thoughts, folks. We need to be really careful with the things we allow to go into our minds. Even, even, I, I, even if you turn on the news, it's just crazy. 
This has got to be the main source we're hooking into. Okay? Be careful with your thoughts. There's many things that, you know, that we can put on this list, but I think that's a really important one to stress. The next one, number three, serve and love others. A practicing faith is a faith that serves and loves others. This is something that we always talk about here at Living Water. That's why we built this building. We want to serve and love others. Not just within the body, but within our community. We want to lead them to Christ. We want to show them the love of Christ. As Christians, we are not called to lord it over others as if to think our efforts, you know, but, but by, through our efforts we're something special or important. No, no. We are called to help others, serve others, and love others in total humility. We're in Philippians already, so let's just flip over to Philippians 2. And there's a lot of verses in the Bible that deal with serving and loving others. Look at this one real quick. Philippians 2, 2 through 4. It's Paul speaking here. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's how we serve others. We're just not worried about us. We're really concerned about others. That's once again why we built that building. Why would we put an indoor playground in that building? Because we want to bring moms in here, parents with young kids who've got a safe place to go, to let them know we love them. And we care about them. And we're, you know, we could have done a lot of other things. We want to put their interests ahead of ours. We want to reach our community. John 13, 34 tells us, ah, shoot, we've turned everywhere else. Let's just flip there. What the heck? You guys are doing great. We know this verse once again. This is a very convicting verse. You know, basically, it tells us we're supposed to love others just like Christ loved us. Jeez, is that even possible? Be 1334. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We're called to love others just like Christ loved us. That's a pretty serious commanding call. It's a command. He's asking us to do that. Romans 12.9. I'll just read that to you out of the NLT. Romans 12.9 says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. We should be honoring each other and delight in it. The last one that I'd like to bring up that's something we can do through an act of faith is be merciful. We are called to show mercy. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came 
and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He has a confrontation just a few chapters later in 12 with the Pharisees over the Sabbath, and he says the same thing. You guys haven't learned it. You need to learn what it means to desire mercy and not sacrifice. God wants us to show mercy as he has shown mercy to him, to us. So important in an act of faith. Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about in that act of practicing faith is just how well-equipped has God made us to go out there and have a practicing faith. Well, there's basically three different things we can mention here, and I believe me, we are well, well-equipped. All right, number one, the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit abides in every believer. In John 14, 15 through 17, Jesus tells us he's going to send us a helper, and the helper is going to abide with us, and he is going to be in us. The Holy Spirit provides infinite power from heaven on high, a power that we are literally clothed in, a power designed for action. Let's go to Luke 24, 49. Let's look at that real quick. This is another one of those verses, sometimes you read it and, 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 and it, there's just so much there. Just one verse, Luke 24, 49. And behold, this is Jesus speaking, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city. Don't do anything. Don't, don't even try to do anything until you have received what I'm sending you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Folks, we are clothed. We are clothed with power from on high. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We are really, really well equipped to have a practicing faith that makes a huge difference. The next thing I'd like to mention real quick, which I've been dwelling on more and more and more, and boy, this is something to really understand how well this has equipped us. And that is the resurrection. The tomb is empty, folks. We have to, every day we need to get up and go, Jesus Christ lives. He's resurrected. The tomb is empty. You know, I've discovered as I talk to my non-Christian friends, that's the one thing they don't know what to say back to. Because they always tell me, Greg, well, what about the Buddhists? And what about this religion? What about the Islam? And what about that religion? He goes, what makes you guys think you have the right to say you're right and you've got the only way? And I say, the tomb is empty. And there's no response. Because the Trinitarian Jesus, the incarnation, God himself, walked this earth that he created. And he suffered, he taught us, and then he suffered. And like everyone in this room, he took his last breath. Jesus died, just like every one of us are going to die. We will take our last breath. That body died. But... but Three days later, he was resurrected. He was brought back to life. And now we share in that. We will not perish now either because of Jesus. Guys, listen, the tomb is empty. There's nothing we cannot do because that tomb is empty. 
We are so well equipped, it's unbelievable. The res we have got to keep that resurrection front and center. And just do not ever forget that the tomb is empty. Now, I'm going to run two minutes long. That's unheard of for me, but here we go. I've got to read this verse. John 20, 1 through 10. And we're going to quit. Because I love the empty tomb. And I love this version of it. Because John's thinking pretty highly of himself, right? I'm the one Jesus loves. I'm pretty fast, too. I can run quick, right? Yeah, here we go. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other, other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, I'll put that in here, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths laying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not laying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Well, they understood it then, didn't they? Then the disciples went back to their homes. The tomb is empty. Amen. And I will say this, and I don't know, you guys might just, as I, every time I read this, I just get the sense, I don't know, I don't know why, but I just get the sense, those guys might have thought they're fast, but I think Mary could have whipped them both. I just, I mean, she was going the other direction, but I, I think her time was faster, guys. I just, I think she was juiced up. Pray, how exciting was that for them? What an experience. The tomb is empty. We need to really, really stand on that in our lives. And then thirdly, those in Christ win. Folks, we win. We win. Christ has won. He has conquered sin and death. We are unstoppable. Overwhelming victory is ours. Right now, at the right hand of the Father, is Jesus Christ interceding on our behalf. The God of all creation. He's interceding on our behalf right now. That equips us pretty good. I think, I think we're pretty well equipped to handle this thing. So, let's go out there, and unlike General George McClellan, let's don't be timid. Let's don't be hesitant. Let's don't be sluggish. Ah, I hate that word. I mean, I do not want to be called sluggish. Let's be active in our faith. Let's read the word, learn the word, and then begin to understand the word by practicing the word through the many opportunities that he's given us. Every one of us are gifted in different ways. He's got work for every one of us to do. Every one of us, in that active faith that we're going to live out, we will be maturing and doing great things for the kingdom if we practice our faith and put it into action. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. <laughs> Boy, we praise you and thank you for the empty tomb, for the hope we have in Christ. And Lord, for the fact that we can never be separated from you and that your body moves according to your will and it is 
unstoppable. You are in control of all things. You will be lifted and exalted. You will be magnified. You will be glorified through your church and its work here on earth. So we pray that you would use us here at Living Water in that way and that we would be in your word diligently and then we would take those truths and we'd put them into practice. And then our spiritual understanding would grow and then we'd put more things into practice and continue to mature and produce fruit for the kingdom for your glory and honor. Keep us under your care and protection and guidance as we leave this place this morning. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.